We've been talking about the church as the bride of Christ. That's a good topic for the Dia dos Namorados. How he loves us. Far more than we could imagine. Far more than we love each other. Far more than the greatest love on earth is Jesus' love for his church. We are engaged to him if we have invited him in our hearts. We are part of his bride. Not each one of us, but as a church, universal and local, we are the love of Jesus' life. And he is planning a great party for all of us. Uh, my daughter was recently engaged about a week ago. So uh, she's right over there. She's just glowing. Uh, and we are planning a wedding. We don't know the date yet. Kind of like Jesus, right? He hasn't told us the date yet. But uh, everything goes into this. A family plans a wedding with everything they've got. And that's the family of God. And so I hope today, as you walk with Jesus, you are pressing forward to that great wedding feast when we will be together with every tribe and nation and language and people uh, rejoicing in his presence. So the Bible gives all kinds of metaphors for this uh, great body that is being formed out of the rib of Jesus, like the first Adam, the last Adam is also part of his body is being made into a bride for his eternal joy and pleasure. And today we're going to look at the metaphor of a field. The church is God's field. And this is actually right out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says, I planted the seed. He's talking to a church in the city of Corinth in Greece. And he says, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. I hope you remember that as we're looking for a pastor. It's not about the guy behind the pulpit, right? It's about Jesus and his good seed, which is the gospel, the scripture, the word of God. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field. So I want you to picture Calvary Church, not just this building. Please don't think just of the building. Uh, it does have to do with this space and this time that we separate to worship God. But scattered throughout the world, our members of this body, how is the field of God at Calvary doing? I once talked to a farmer from uh, uh, Goyania, Goyas, whose soy farm was so big that he said he drove his combine down and back before lunch and down and back after lunch, and that was his day of harvest. Huge field. And his combine had a, a machine in it, a computer in it, that would judge the weight of the harvest in each square meter and then record that on a CD that he put into his fertilizer machine and it would put the fertilizer needed in each square meter. That's what I hope we do this morning. How are we doing as God's field? What's the fruit? Are we bearing fruit? God is making us grow as we plant the seed and cultivate it. 
Let's look at how we're doing. When I was 13, my uh, family, who was a missionary, we were a missionary family on furlough in Richmond, Virginia, did not have a house, and so a man and his wife lent us their country home. There was about a, an acre-sized field beside the house. And as I would go to school, I'd look at all, all of that land, and I'd think, wow, wouldn't that be nice if it looked like this? And so one day I told my mom, I'm going to plant a garden out there. Well, my mom was a country girl. She'd grown up on a farm. Her mom and dad were uh, farmers in Virginia. And she smiled at me and said, okay, and watched. So that afternoon, I went out and got the pick, and I started chopping. And there were weeds as high as I was out there. And cutting down the weeds, chopping up the hard clods of dirt, by the end of the afternoon, I had blisters, and I was finished. But the next day, I found my pick, went back out and kept going, and I went for a week after school every day, chopping that dirt, trying to make it softer, pulling out the weeds. And on Saturday, my mom said, I've been noticing that you didn't give up, and I'm going to come help you. My brothers and sisters weren't very interested, and neither was my dad. But my mom and I, we planted a garden in that field, and we got to eat the produce of our hard labor. But let me tell you, I had no idea how hard it was to plant a garden. It was hard work. And that's the work we're about here. Let's listen to this story that Jesus tells one more time. And then I want you to tell it to your neighbor. Right? Yeah, I'm going to get you out of your comfort zone a little bit here. Uh, but you're going to listen to the story, and then either you or your other one sitting next to you is going to tell the story to each other. All right? Just the story. Luke 8, 5 through 8. This is what the story says. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he had said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear... Let them hear. All right, let's see if you heard. Tell your neighbor the story. You got about one minute. You know, as a teacher, I, I learned that teaching something is the best way to learn it. You don't really learn it deeply until you have to teach it to somebody else. So I hope that helps you press the seed of this part of God's Word down into your heart a little better. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. Tell the story to somebody else this week. You know, this is an easy story to tell. Everybody loves to hear a story. Standing in the elevator, you can say, hey, can I tell you a story I heard at <laughs> church this week? And you've got about a minute to tell it, right, as you go down from floor to floor. What's the context of Luke 8? Jesus is walking around the Galilean region. It says in verse 1, after this, Jesus traveled about. Now, he's not taking a bus or a car. He's walking, right? 
He's not walking alone. Traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. So that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the good news of the kingdom of God. The gospel, meaning good news. That's the seed in this story. The twelve were with him. So he had his disciples with him. Can I ask you who were your disciples? Our first thing here at Calvary is disciples making disciples. Who are you discipling? At least praying for that they will walk with God and grow in Him and looking for opportunities to share. Walk with your disciples. But that's not the only ones who are with Him. Verse 2, also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Boy, I bet that got him a, a funny reputation. Look at the women that are following Jesus, right? Mary Magdalene was among them, from whom seven demons had come out, verse 2 says. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. She probably had some money, right? Susanna and many others. That's my namorada. In fact, she has a sister named Joanna because of this verse. Joanna and Susanna and these women were helping to support them out of their own means. So here's the context of Jesus' teaching. He's walking from town to town. He doesn't stay in his comfort zone. He doesn't build a ministry and invite everybody to come. He goes, and he takes with him the good news of the kingdom and those who are following him in it. That's what he wants us to do. That's how we follow him. I'm not saying everybody needs to be a missionary. I am saying you need to take the good news out of your comfort zone and tell it to people who haven't heard and go with people. Be... be, accompanied by those who are walking with Jesus. And then we see that he tells a story. He's he's teaching with stories that have to do with his context. So he's probably walking through fields. He sees fields. He sees things growing. Barley and wheat grew in that area. Um, So he probably even watched a farmer sowing as he was walking down the road. And as the crowds gathered, he told the story. And then, for our benefit, he explains it to his disciples. Four kinds of soil and one seed. You know, we don't see the sower again after the very first verse. We don't See any change in the seed? The seed is good all the time. It's always the good seed. So it's not the point that the sower or the seed is changing. It's the soil that's changing. We should really call this the parable of the soils, right? So the soil is about those who are hearing. He cries out in the middle of the story, he who has ears, let him hear. Well, the obvious question is, who doesn't have ears? I bet the kids were looking around to see if there were any earless people there. And the point is, does your heart have openness to receive the secrets of the kingdom that he was giving? Now, one more comment about the sower, the guy that's sowing before we move on. He was a crazy farmer, right? If there were any farmers in the crowd, they said, wait a minute, you don't throw seed on the path. You don't throw seed in the rocks. You don't throw seed in the weeds because seed costs money. Seed is food. You don't throw your seed away. And that was a teaching point of Jesus that's hidden in this story because he's saying, like Paul says to Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. Scatter the seed everywhere. Psalm 19 that we read this morning says, 
The word of God is going out from day to day. The skies proclaim the glory of God. Romans 1 agrees with that by saying no one is without excuse. Everyone should believe in a loving, powerful creator because everywhere we look, we see his fingerprints. God is sending the message all the time. He sends it through creation. He sends it through the word that is written and spoken through his spirit. We call that logos and rhema, both the written word and the spoken word. He's constantly speaking to those who have ears to hear. So my question to you and to myself this morning, do you have ears and do I? Four kinds of soil. And four or three enemies of the word. First kind of soil is the path. The enemy in that section is the devil himself. This is in verse 5 and verse 12. I hope you're following along with me as we, as we read. Verse 5. A farmer went out to sow the seed, and as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it. Now, if you'll skip down to verse 12, you'll see what that means. Those along the path are the ones who hear... And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So everybody has physical ears, everybody hears the message, everybody sees the same sunset, but some believe and are saved. That's the ears Jesus is talking about. And the devil doesn't want that to happen. And I would submit to you that every single heart is born a path Every single heart is born trampled by sin, their own and the sin of their ancestors, back to Adam and Eve, hardened. The seed can't go in. You cannot believe you are dead in your trespasses and sins until God gives you faith. That's ears. He puts ears on your heart so that hearing the very same words, you will wake up. And you will know, like Paul the Apostle himself, who knew the Scripture backwards and forwards as a Pharisee, but one day on the road to Damascus, grace came as a vision from heaven and knocked him off his horse, and he understood all of those Old Testament passages he had memorized for so long. The path is hardened by trampling, by sin. There is no understanding. Matthew 13 adds that word. They hear it, but they do not understand it. I was talking to a young man just this week who said that he used to read the Bible and he understood the words. It was in Portuguese. He could tell you what it said, but it did not mean anything to him until grace started waking him up. And he started having a hunger to read more, to see God through what he was reading, and to know himself. No ears to hear, and then God gives you ears. And that path can turn into a field. And we're going to talk about why in just a minute. The second kind of soil is the rocky heart. Rocky soil. The enemy is the old self. Your old fleshly self. 
that is hard-hearted. Ezekiel 36 talks about taking out your heart of stone and putting in a heart of flesh. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live for Christ lives in me, Paul says. Salvation is not adding Jesus to your life to fix you. Salvation is crying out by grace from your position of death, of stone-heartedness, and saying, God, I need you to make me alive in Christ. And he gives you his heart. He takes your sin. He plants his righteous, living heart inside of you. That's what the rocky soil represents. It's shallow. It understands up here, but it cannot believe and receive the gospel. And so when difficulties come, uh, let's read it just to, to have the word in our hearts. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Well, down below in verse 13, it explains that a little bit further. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Testing is added to this recipe. Testing becomes very important as we move forward. Uh, my brother's been a, a missionary in Honduras for as long as Suzanne and I have been here in Brazil, uh, mid-90s or so, and he works with uh, small agriculture uh, communities, teaching them uh, sustainable farming and using that to make disciples. And when I visited him, we were driving through the mountains of northern Honduras where he lives. There are so many rocks. There's rocks everywhere. Every field is full of rocks. There's more rocks than dirt when you start. But when you see a field that's well cared for, it has a rock wall around it. And this is all uh, mountainous areas, so they can't get tractors in there. These rocks are each dug out, pulled out, carried to the edge of the field, and then built into a terrace or a border to keep the animals out, to keep the people from walking across it and tamping it down, and to keep the water from washing the, the soil down the hill. That spoke to me so clearly about this passage. God has made you a stubborn person. And that's hard-heartedness. That's a rock in your heart. But you can dig that hard-heartedness out and set it in a different place in your life, and it creates a barrier for the enemies of the gospel to keep them out of your field. Just for instance, let's say you're, you're stubborn. Put that stubbornness at 6 o'clock in the morning when your alarm rings and you say, no sleep, I won't sleep anymore. I'm going to get up now so that I can have my time in the Word and keep my soft heart before Him full of seeds out of the Scripture. See how that rock got pulled out of the center of your heart and put on the edge of your life to make boundaries and terraces and protections so that the seed can grow. A rocky heart is shallow, unfeeling, untested, and there is no perseverance. It's falling back into your old self, your fleshliness, your rights, perhaps, and you don't humbly receive and believe the word for fruit-bearing. The fourth kind of soil is thorns. The thorny, that should be a Y there, the thorny heart, and the enemy is the world. 
Why do I say that? Well, let's read it and you'll see. Verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. By the way, wasn't that well, predict, well uh, shown in the video that you saw this morning? That was from max7.org. Uh, it's, it comes from living your max for Jesus seven days a week, not just one. Uh, free resources that are uh, transferable to various cultures around the world. It's an amazing place to go if you want to have tools for ministry. max7.org. Uh, but the weeds grow up with the seed, with the word. I found out in my garden that pulling out all those weeds, I had dropped a bunch of weed seeds in my dirt. As I pulled them out, they dropped seeds too. And there are seeds just buried in the soil. Uh, the, the world is full of weeds. It's full of sin that grows up out of our hearts even when we don't plant it. Uh, and they grow together. Uh, and must be taken care of. We could uh, spend another sermon talking about that. Uh, go down to verse 14, and you'll see the, the definition of this thorny ground. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way. What a telling phrase that is. They go on their way. They seek their will. They want to do what they want to do. No one has the right to tell them otherwise. They have rights, right? They go on their way. They are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, here's three things in the world, the lust of the, of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. There are the weeds. Your eyes, your flesh, desiring something. Might be something not sinful. Doesn't have to be sin. It's the deceitfulness of riches. Missionaries suffer with that. Boy, if I had $10,000 to buy a van, I'd just be so much more successful. That's the deceitfulness of riches. Might be true, but it can lead us away from full openness and dependence to the simple trust in the Word of God and the good news of the kingdom. We're going to talk about what to do with those weeds in just a minute. There's a fourth kind of soil. Praise God. It's good soil. Good soil. And I think because of the three kinds of bad soil, we can say that it's plowed, it's walled, and it's weeded. Plowed, walled, and weeded. It's not a pass. It's been broken up. It's been disked. You know what a disk is? It goes over and over and over to make the pieces of dirt as small as possible so those roots can get down deep in the soil. Are you plowed? I would say the whole world has been plowed recently. Let's read what it says about the good soil before we go any further. Verse 8 says, Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Down to verse 15. The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. So there's salvation, right? Right? God has put a new heart in you. 
a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Hear, retain, and persevere. So here would be plowing. Here is the opening of your heart by contrition, by conviction of sin, first of all, but then by tribulation. Both Romans 5 and James 1 tell us the attitude we should have when things get hard and uncomfortable. James even says temptations and tribulations. You should count it all joy. You should rejoice when you are persecuted. Why? Because persecution creates character, and character creates perseverance. When you're persecuted, you're being plowed. If you're a child of God, if you're his field, he's plowing you up. He's pulling out the rocks. He's making you open and then allowing your roots to go down so that you can retain the word. That's rootedness. And then persevere under tribulation because you've been given that perseverance and hope. Romans 5 says hope does not disappoint because God has given us his Holy Spirit. So we have a a path, we have rocks, we have weeds, and we have the good soil. A noble and good heart that hears, retains, and perseveres in the word. Plowed, walled, and weeded. Well, how are we doing? And what should we do? Praise God, we have the, the interpretation of this parable. And we can actually have some things to do about it. And here's where I want us to go. And remember that it's not just hearing this word that makes you fruitful. It's actually doing something about it. Pushing it down in the soil of your heart and committing to obey it. The first clear command is to listen. Listen to the Word of God. Listen for the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, His voice is very, very soft. He speaks all the time. He speaks through His Word primarily, but He also speaks through creation. He speaks through His church. He speaks through His Holy Spirit. Spend time listening and persevering in listening to the Holy Spirit. Listen to Isaiah 55, 1-3. What a beautiful passage of Scripture this is about the Word of God. It's about the Word. Isaiah says, Come, all you who are thirsty, Come to the waters, you who have no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on on that which is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. You will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. God calls us to his feet to hear him, to listen, to receive his word of comfort, his word of hope, his word of faith. He calls us to his his written word. But even when you're waiting in line or sitting in traffic or trying to fall asleep at three in the morning, come to Jesus and listen. Open your heart wider and wider and say, God, speak to me. Here I am. Just like little Samuel in the temple that night. We each should say, Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. The second 
thing we should do is spread the seed. Speak the word you hear. When you listen, God is giving you seed. Where did those seeds come from? They came from the harvest. They came from other harvests. And so as God gives you harvest in your life, speak the word. Speak it to your children. Speak it to your neighbor. Tell the story in the elevator. Your your conversation should be salted with the word of God. Don't preach at anybody. Just speak out what God has given you. Spread the seed. Yes, some of it will fall on rocks. There were three times as many bad soils as there was good soil. So some of it will fall on rocks. When we worked with street kids with Abba, we used to say, it'll blow into the cracks between the sidewalk. That hard heart will go through tribulation and the wind will take it into a little piece of soil in the crack and it might take root and those roots just might break the concrete. But if you don't speak it, there will be no seed. The world needs to hear and you can be that sower in the hands of the great sower himself as you speak the word. So listen Speak in season and out of season, Paul says. That kind of has the picture of seeds lying on the snow, right? Well, it's snowing. Well, keep, keep spreading the seed because when it melts, there's going to be a spring and those seeds might go down into fertile soil and bear fruit. Third, enjoy the plowing. Yeah, I know it hurts. I know it's loss. I know it it. it It seems like the world is messed up, and it is. God is using circumstances, other people, even your own sin, to plow you, to pull out the roots, to break up fallow ground, to dig up rocks out of your heart so that it can be more open to the seed. James is very clear that we should count it all joy when life plows us. It produces rootedness, gives you depth to go through suffering. Thank Him. Yeah, and seek a solution. But thank Him for the promise that all things work together for good and that He's creating character and endurance in you for fruitfulness. Take those stones and protect your spaces. Protect your heart from the weeds, the path, and the stones growing up in your... You know that geologists say that stones actually push up out of the ground. So the, the mountains are pushing down, and that makes uh, minerals go up into the soil and actually fertilizes uh, fields in that way sometimes when those minerals come up from, from below. But new rocks begin to appear. So new rocks will appear in your life. And as that happens, don't allow the root of bitterness to take hold. Forgive. Release people from their debt to you. Yes, they they will sin against you. Don't let that rock take up space in your mind, your thoughts, your heart. Use it to set a wall. Use it to make a terrace so that the waters will stay on your field and you'll be fruitful in the Spirit. Use the stones to protect your heart as a fertile field. And then finally, Needs to be said, live simply. Live simply. Soren Kierkegaard said, what you take, takes you. What you take, takes you. 
Jesus was bold enough to say, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have riches in heaven. Because he knew that the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches are the weeds that choke the seed. What is a, what is a good field? What is a fertile field? It's an empty one until you plant the seed, right? It's one that's clean, got all those weeds taken out, all the rocks pulled to the edges and plowed down to the smallest piece of soil possible. One of my pains in that job of starting a garden was pulling out pretty weed flowers. There were some plants out there, they looked pretty nice. They had flowers on them. But I didn't want flowers, I wanted fruit. I had to pull out those weeds and get rid of them, throw them in the garbage or burn them up so that they didn't continue to plant weeds in my field. Some of my desires and cares, the lusts of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life are killing the kingdom of God in my soul and in my life. I always tell my daughters as we go through airports, when we enter the the duty-free store. If you noticed how they take you through the duty-free store now, you have to walk through there. I always say, watch out for the weeds, right? <laughs> lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of having the right sunglasses, right? Watch out. It's those desires and acting on them that become weeds in your soul. And the seed can actually go down in there and grow a little bit, but it can't bear fruit because you're crowded out. The sun is blocked. The water and nutrients are taken up by all the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. Maybe if we gave more to the offering, we'd have more fruit. God knows. Nobody can tell anyone how to do that. He, he does it himself. But let me, let me show you just a little bit how this has worked in my own life. For me, the first step of temptation is usually self-pity. Begin to feel sorry for yourself. Somebody crosses you or you don't feel understood and you start wallowing in this sense of your rights. And it's usually based on some, some justice, right? But you let yourself go there. And the Holy Spirit has used a memory verse from my childhood in Isaiah chapter 40 to remind me that Israel did the same thing. Isaiah 40 says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My rights are disregarded by my God. So as soon as I start complaining and feeling sorry for myself, the Holy Spirit says, Yeah, somebody else did that. Here's what it says. And then he goes on to say, Don't you know? Haven't you heard? Jehovah is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. So you go all the way back to the beginning and realize God is in charge. He's in control. He knows the end from the beginning. He made all this for his purposes. He does not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom, which means why are you complaining? Do you think God doesn't know or understand what you're going through? Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up and soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not be faint. And by the time I get there, I've pulled out the weeds and the rocks and I'm growing again. And the seed goes down in my heart. How did that happen? Because my dad 
forced me to separate time that I wanted to do something else so I could memorize Isaiah 40. And it's still rooted in my soul, bearing fruit. And I'm planting it in your heart today. My friends, stop wasting your time with other things. Clean your field. Let the plow run over it over and over and over and plant good seeds where there are no weeds and you'll have more and more and more good seeds to fill the world with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters fill the sea. Let's pray. As you close your eyes and quiet your heart, would you just examine your own little piece of this field? How's the garden of your heart? Maybe it's trampled with busyness. Trampled with the sin of others against you. Maybe you've let bitterness grow a rock down in your heart. Maybe there's weeds. Maybe, maybe your, your house is so full of stuff you can hardly stop thinking about all the things that need to be done. Do some work in that garden right now the spirit thank the lord for his plowing forgive those who have sinned against you and dig out that stone of bitterness pull out the weeds commit to selling some things and giving to the poor father grow your kingdom at calvary thank you for years and years of planting the good seed and watering it Thank you for the hose of cultivation that have convicted us of our sin and helped us to repent. We pray for more fruit. We pray for more sections of this field that will grow fruitful seeds for the world. For your glory, as you make us grow. In Jesus' name, amen.